more discussion of the fatal flaws of the LDS Church from a book written by Earl Erskine next on polygamy. What love is this? This is part two of our discussion with Earl Erskine, normally our co-host, but this time our special guest, as we discuss a book that he has written, recently released, entitled The Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church, which tells about his journey and his investigation from the LDS religion to biblical truth. Now, of course, there's many flaws that are found in the LDS church can also be found in the Mormon fundamentalist religious groups, which makes this highly relative for yeah, our particular program. It does. So welcome again, Earl, as we thank go on to much. discuss. Oh, Last time we completed the introduction and got started on <laughs> chapter one, but that's about as far as yeah, we got. It's yeah. interesting to hear your journey. We all have a journey, and and you were blessed to have your wife Carla join you in your journey. That you were able to do it together. Yeah, I I really praise God and thank Him that He was able to soften her heart. Mm. First time I told her, well, I, something was going on in in my in me, and I had this long list of things that I was running into that I was trouble ha, uh, having trouble with in the church and. Um, first time I told her about it, she was actually reading the Book of Mormon in the front room, which we're supposed to be doing all the time. <laughs> and as I was telling her, after she had finally convinced me to, to share with her what was wrong, she held the Book of Mormon to her heart and said, I know the church is true. Mm -hmm. I know Joseph Smith's Aww. a prophet. And right then I thought, well, you know what? I do love my wife, and if she says we're we're in it uh, to the end, time and all eternity kind of thing, and I'll I'll stick with it. So I really I really thank her mm. for being willing to to come to understand what what I was running into and look into. at it, and, and that uh, is a blessing. Yeah, and be Big able blessing. to do that together. We started reading the Bible at the table and just started crying because we could see these things about Jesus yeah. and, and John and stuff that we had never considered before. And that happened to me, too. Did and it? I would read a passage and I would start to cry. Why didn't yeah. I learn about this before? Why didn't I know this? Yeah. And it is. It's, it's very, very disconcerting when yeah. you see that. Your eyes open yeah. and you see things in a different perspective. Yeah, so. and, and like I mentioned last time, the most important thing any of us can ever do in our life is to seek the truth Yeah. until we find True. it. And Jesus is the truth, so obviously that's the best place to start. <laughs> well, let's begin with chapter one. We, uh, we covered the introduction and some of the other uh, information, but uh, chapter one is entitled, The Burning in the Bosom, Feelings, Facts, and Faith. And you quote at the beginning of this chapter, President, the second president of the United States of America, yeah. John Adams. And he said, quote, facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. Now, this, of course, <laughs> is our, includes our feelings. Uh, they take second, yeah, third, fourth position here. Right, uh, in your investigation of historical Mormonism, how did you find that statement to be true? And do we have the responsibility as human beings to ourselves and our family and to God? To investigate, investigate what we believe and what we think and know and why. Well, that's a big question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
I found this statement to be very true, and I, I think the fact that there are facts out there, and that's what I was saying before, is there are facts that are just there, and you have to deal with them. Right. You may not like them, but they have to be dealt with, and or you can just ignore them, which is probably what I did for all those years. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like we have a responsibility if we find something that, and that's probably why I wrote the book again, to to share what I started learning when I mm -hmm. put these things together, put two and two together, and coming up with information that I'd never thought about before, I'd never heard of before. Yeah. Evidences, for instance, for the Bible exist thousands of, of documents, manuscripts, yeah. evidences for the Bible, not one single historical evidence for the Book of Mormon. No. Yet they reject the evidence, they reject the facts, yeah. and accept that which is based on feeling. Yeah, and and the evidence, like you're saying about the Book of Mormon, it it actually tells us that the Bible can't be trusted, that it'll be corrupted by designing men and yeah, so on, and yeah. it just isn't it isn't true. Uh, it would have been impossible for them to someone to change all of the, exactly. the manuscripts to Accurate. to their own thinking. Yeah. Um, so so we do. I believe, and and that's part of the question that we owe it to ourselves, and I think we owe it to God also to investigate what we believe and yeah. why we believe it, and then share it with our families and our friends. Well, I. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible teaches yes. us to do. And and when you have something important, you do want to share it. You Especially the good news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And knowing that they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. know, we were there. I know we they know. don't. Yeah. I know they yeah. don't understand the good news. Right. Yeah. They don't. And they don't understand how good the good news is. No. And they're working their little fingers to the bone, as it were, uh, trying to mm -hmm. please God and right. earn their way to heaven. Which is impossible which is not, to do. Okay. Not possible. I am quoting from page 31 of the book, where it says, In biblical Christianity, however, I've come to discover that faith is not blind. Rather, it is a confident expectation based on knowledge and facts. My faith in God, then, is based in part on the evidence of His creation and His dealings with mankind as recorded in the Bible. So, why aren't feelings the best expression? <laughs> why are facts the best? Now, we've kind of covered this, yeah. but what part do feelings have in the expression of our faith? Well, again, we have emotions and feelings that we, we have God in life. God gave them to us. Yeah, God gave those to us. But there are facts, and, and they shouldn't be ignored. I guess is and the then feelings line. kicked in. When I first discovered the truth, my feelings got pretty excited about it. Yeah. Well, like I say, there is a confidence and an expectation once you realize that, uh, again, the good news, and yeah. that, that's there in the Bible, and and I didn't understand it as a right, Latter-day right. Saint. So, but when we find some good news, just just living our life, we want to tell somebody about it. You sure, know, yeah. uh, I just had a grandchild, or you know, right. whatever the good news. But we want to share it. That's well, true. it's the same with the good news that God has for yeah. us. Yeah, that's true. Chapter two is entitled "The LDS God versus the LDS God." How do you like that? One? <laughs> I thought it was a very intriguing title. 
And of course, we point out frequently that the God of Mormonism is not the God of the Bible, but here you're showing that the God of the LDS Church isn't the God of the LDS Church, of the original yeah. <laughs> early Mormonism. And today, explain the strange statement. <laughs> well, it's so fascinating to me. We talked about compartmentalism, and this one goes to the limit on, uh, on what the church teaches. They both have, the questions, I guess, kind of came up, is God, was God once a man? Mm-hmm. Does God have a body, or is God a spirit? Is Jesus the creator, or is he just created being? Yeah. And so... Both of these, all of those topics are covered in in the LDS Church. They believe all all of all those of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's a couple of scriptures I've got here. Okay. Um, and this is te- teaching us about Jesus and who He is, and see if this actually fits the LDS teaching. It's from the Book of Mormon. There's three of them here. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and hmm. his mother shall be called Mary. So we know who he's talking about uh, Exactly. Here. In Helaman, that was from Messiah, Helaman, and also that ye might know of the, of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning. And then this one from 3 Nephi, see who's talking here, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and earth, and all things that are in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and in me hath the Father glorified his name. Hmm. That so that's is not the not, Jesus I was taught about. That was not the Mormon. That is not the Mormon Jesus. So it's just, and then section like 120, 123 or something, I'd have to look it up again. But it talks about God having a body of mm-hmm. flesh and bones. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, here he's talking about a spirit, and, and uh, in the lectures of faith, they talk about God being a spirit and Jesus having a tabernacle of flesh. Yeah. Again, just not really comparing apples to... Not, right, not really right. thinking through the different things they're reading. And and the Book of Mormon says, uh, here Jesus is the creator of all things, the father mm. of heaven and earth, the creator of all right. things. But they have him as Lucifer's brother, Yeah, he's and, the, a, and Lucifer's created, so yeah. how could he be the brother and still be creator? Well, that's it. It's he's uh, He actually is just one of us. He's our older brother. He's just yeah. a little further ahead, I guess. I mean, he's... Yeah. He, Still, um, yeah, it's just confusing, actually. I want to quote from page 50 what you said about this. Latter-day Saints have to perform mental gymnastics to accept without question those contradictory doctrines concerning the nature of God. Or perhaps more likely, it never even occurs to them to compare these contradictory statements. And so the conflicts would just go unnoticed. You said that's what happened to you. Is it that they don't notice the contradictions? Do you think that's the biggest problem with with the LDS mind that they don't even notice those contradictions? You know, or do I've, they just I've see kind of dealt with this them. over the certain over the whole time I wrote the book, but just in the last few weeks, I've dealt with this a little bit more. And then I was as I was preparing to to share this all with you too uh, today. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. 
I don't know why we can look at one thing and not compare it to something else. Alma and Zizrum in the Book of Mormon have a discussion, or Amulek and Zizrum have a discussion in the Book of Mormon, and he says, is there more than one God? And Amulek says, no. Is he the everlasting father? Yes. You know, God never changes. He's an unchangeable being, and yet Mormonism teaches that God was once a man. That he and, is changed. And, that and he what does amazes change. me is we're talking about people who can't see contradictions. Joseph Smith wrote all those. Yes. And he didn't he even see those contradictions. Well, that's why I think originally the Book of Mormon was changed. In First Nephi chapter eleven and chapter thirteen, it talks about Jesus being the eternal father or the everlasting father. And then they were changed to read the son of the everlasting father. Oh, yeah. And I the... think he got to where he couldn't, he, he would have had to go back through the entire Book of Mormon and make all those changes in order to fit yeah. his new doctrine. His, his changing, yeah. his own personal changing yeah. doctrine. Right, exactly. So it's... Uh, Do they believe, well, we know they don't, they don't believe or teach, Mormons or polygamists, that Jesus Christ is Almighty God, the only existing God anywhere, everywhere, or at any time. No, they don't believe that. Jesus is not the Almighty God. No. They believe He is a God, but He's not. A God. He's not God. Right, right. And the Bible clearly tells us Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Yeah. And it... uh, yeah, it's very clear. And the Book of Mormon teaches that. That's yeah. what's very in, in strange. In some places it does. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And the, the introduction to the Book of Mormon says that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. Well, yes, it, it, it does. Yes. And that He's the everlasting Father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's contradictions well, we all we, the way through. But if you don't think about it, and you just, don't, you just read through it, and you don't pay attention, you don't interrelate it mm-hmm. to anything else... Um, you don't see it. It just goes away. Yeah. Let's move on to chapter 3. It's entitled, Temples, Where Does the Lord Dwell? You quote Jesus, what Jesus said in Matthew twelve six. Yeah. But I said to you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Of course, he's referring to himself. Yeah. Who is greater than the temple. And, of course, that's one of my favorites, <laughs> is by it? the way. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites. But why is it that they do not need temples if Jesus is actually leading their church, based on this statement. Well, this is one of the things that I probably gained the most knowledge about was with the temples, yeah. temple activities and what's going on. It's so revered in the LDS church, and yet it's Jesus fulfilled all the promises of the Mosaic law, you know, the old covenant. And the veil of the temple was torn mm-hmm. in two when he was crucified. And it just, uh, and then learning that only Levites could go into the temple, mm-hmm. or Levite priests the, to serve, serve in the in temple. temple. Mm-hmm. Women couldn't go in the temple. I've, I've said, I think it would have been better if Joseph Smith had just claimed new revelation and created a temple ordinance or a temple with its ordinances and all the handshakes or wherever he got that information rather than talk about it being a restored yeah. rather than being a restoration. Right, right. He, he would have had less controversy if he had just 
started it up on his own as a new revelation from God, which I think would have been a lot easier for him to do because the animal sacrifices, the blood sacrifices in the temple yeah. done by Levite priests. Mm -hmm. now, now we have temples where women go in, they're married for time and all eternity. That didn't happen in Baptism the old temples. The Baptism for the dead. So it's that was probably one of the big that and grace were the biggest kind of eye opening things beyond my. Uh, well, on page fifty five of your book, you quote Doctrine and Covenants one twenty four verses twenty seven and twenty eight. About oh, I'm sorry. The, about the and, temples. And build a house yeah. to my name for the Most High to dwell therein, for there is not a place down on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost. Which goes back to what you just well, said, just the, restoration the restoration of something that was lost. But that opposes what the Bible says yes. in Acts 17, 24. It says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So the Doctrine and Covenant, I mean, there's a direct conflict yeah. there. It, it, does he dwell in temples or not? Right. Carter's right. had friends that have said, well, I know that Jesus walks the halls of the temple, you know. Yeah. Like he doesn't have anything else to yeah. do but come to this temple. And But when you think about the majesty of God oh, yeah. and his... Uh, and that's, that is one of the great things about the good news is this... God is is just <laughs> uh, how do you say it? It's just fantastic. I mean, it's just overwhelming who who he is, and he Joseph, lives in unapproachable light. Yeah, and says. Joseph Smith has turned him into a man, which yeah. is again a contradiction in one of the Bible scriptures. Uh, yeah. But yeah. he's turned him into a man. He was once a man, and he's he's kind of shrunk down this very much almighty so. God. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. so. So if, now I assume that when you were a member of the church, you did not know about Acts 17.24. Well, I read it. But you didn't, <laughs> you didn't connect that God doesn't dwell what, in temples built by human hands? What would be interesting for me, and I didn't on this one, but I have on other scriptures. I mentioned earlier that we only taught the New Testament once every four yeah, years. right. And most of that was in... Uh, the first four books, you know, Matthew, Mark, oh, Luke, yeah, and the John. Gospels, okay. yeah. Then they I would be interested to see that they even covered Acts chapter 17, to even say that. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look. Oh, they wouldn't. I, I've gone through some of their studies, that, that, yeah. you know, and they, do, they skip those tough verses like that well, every like, time. Like we were saying about Romans, we could spend a year <laughs> or two on it, on Romans. Yeah. They spend about one, one or maybe one two, one lesson. <laughs> on all of that book. So I read it. It didn't mean anything to me. Well, do all this not until, okay. What does that mean? So, I don't know. <laughs> so the, your book is entitled Fatal Flaws of the Elias Church. What's the fatal flaw here in this temple building? Well, kind of like I said, it's just, it doesn't match biblically. It, it's not a restoration of anything. If Joseph Smith wanted to call it something new, that would have probably worked, but he's claiming it's a restoration. Um, again, a Romic priesthood, we'll cover that a little bit later maybe, yeah. but it was just Levite priests that would go into yeah. the temple, the Holy of Holies. And then to understand what Jesus did and when he was crucified and he shed blood, and instead of Israel and, and the priests going into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood, 
Jesus has then shed his blood and mm -hmm. torn the t veil of the temple. Tell so them, we have that the veil. relationship with him directly. We right. don't go through. And they put the veil trees. back up. They put yeah, the veil back, back up. up. Um, and and so if if Jesus, if one greater than the temple is here in Jesus, that's all we need. Yeah. That's all we need. Yeah, that's true. Chapter 4 is entitled, and it's the priesthood that you were talking about. The Aaronic priesthood didn't need to be restored. Now, I want to add here that polygamy groups rely heavily, some of them do, re uh -huh. rely heavily on priesthood power mm -hmm. and authority. And, and do they do keys? They talk about keys Some of them are very, are very heavy on it, yes, and on the keys, keys as well. Because that's very LDS, That's too. big, yeah, yeah that's big for them. Um, so, well, briefly, what is the fatal flaw of Mormonism's well, priesthood? I actually cover it overall in different ways, but first of all, they were only Levite priests. Right, no Joseph, Levite Levi only the only the sons of Aaron could be priests. Yeah. And they were from Levi. Right. Right. And uh, and I think they had to be 30 years old. I'm Before they went to service, that's right. right. So here we have 12-year-olds that are becoming mm. ironic priesthood holders. That's one thing. A couple of the other things is that I didn't really understand this before, but the law was fulfilled in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he, he then took care of the the covenants and the old, the old covenant. Right. But the other thing that I thought was... Most interesting, and and actually, I think that is the fatal flaw is why John the Baptist. Uh -huh. He, when we talk about keys, he died, I assume, around thirty, but depending on how you date things, but around thirty A.D. You know, he died as at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Right, right. So there was essentially about forty years there between then and the seventy A.D. when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of Levite priests or Aaronic priesthood holders. I don't know if they even called it that. But those people, uh, so there were a lot of people that held that priesthood mm -hmm. through 70 A.D. where uh, why would John the Baptist be the one that was restoring the keys to Joseph Smith? They didn't need to be restored at that point. Well, they didn't need to be restored, and but why him? He wouldn't have been the last one to hold the keys. Right, right. They would have had people that were priests after that. Good question. Yeah. Because they still existed until 70 A.D. when the well, temple ceremonies they were and still everything doing, they were doing. doing their thing. So. Right. But I think it was just a, he was well known. That's why Peter, James, Peter, James and John were the ones that re supposedly restored the mm -hmm. Melchizedek priesthood, which is a, mm -hmm. another whole story. But, another whole story. But yeah. John the Baptist, it was... Uh, uh, there's a lot of little fatal flaws there about why the Aaronic priesthood is is not the same as the one described it's not in the Bible. By any right. means, it's not at all. Yeah. So there there are a lot of, of that, and we've done shows before on the priesthood of Mormonism and yeah. covered some of these things. So we're out of time again. Or also, we are going to extend this to a part three. Okay. All right. <laughs> as we go through your book and pick out just you know various things, and, okay. and I want to thank you for writing the book. It's very good. Oh, thank uh, you. I pray that you will have uh, a lot of people not only who buy the book but whose lives are changed well, because of that's what, what you hope done. for is yeah. the people that need to know and, and would benefit from knowing, which yes. everyone would, yes. but uh, that they'll come to know who Jesus is and what he did for us. Mm -hmm. 
that you don't really appreciate. It, it's a, all on him. He, he did it all. Like you yeah. said, he fulfilled the law. And because he fulfilled all of the law, he transfers that to us if we'll believe and trust in him alone. Yeah. He transfers his perfection of the yeah. law to yeah, us. Yeah, it says so after he was thing. crucified and shed his blood, he sits down by the Father. And right. it's, it's done. Mm -hmm. It is finished. Right. Yeah. So watch as we begin part three uh, next time. Um, every person who exits the LDS church or Mormon polygamy groups have their own personal reasons for leaving. Very often it has to do with bad doctrine, although, um, and deceived by their leaders, but there's many people who don't consider that there could possibly be bad doctrine in Mormonism. But God can't lie. And so he doesn't expect us to. And yet lying for the Lord is basically something that Mormonism has condoned. God cannot communicate contradictory, changeable, or bad doctrine to his followers. And that's precisely what Mormonism does. God says we are to be holy, just as he is holy. And that, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So lying for the Lord cannot please him. You can forget the changing doctrines of Mormonism, reach out to Jesus and ask him for his unchanging truths and experience a changed and abundant life for yourself. Or you can continue on the broad road that leads away from God's heaven, not towards it. We pray that you will choose the narrow road that leads to life and leads to truth. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.